I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. My guest today is Bob Patillo, a man that many of you in the impact investment world might be familiar with. He's been an early pioneer and a man that's gone pretty much all in with his personal wealth as it relates to impact investing and and really pressing into the stories and, and the lives of entrepreneurs across the world and getting to know them personally and trying to uh, leverage capital in ways to bring their hopes and dreams to, to life. For those of you who don't know him or aren't familiar with impact investing, Bob in the late 90s was an early pioneer in, in microfinance and then later went into impact investing more specifically. I was the founder of Grey Ghost Ventures and Grey Matters Capital. And I personally came to know him through our shared work in, in Village Capital. Uh, he actually, if you didn't know, it was one of the co-founders of Village Capital over a decade ago. And for the last six years, I've had the pleasure of serving on the board and getting to know Bob has been a treat. Uh, and so sitting down with him today to talk about his life and purpose, but more specifically to talk with him about uh, the lessons learned in his journey of business and real estate and also impact investing, the pain of that, uh, the joy of that, uh, as well as what we as a field should be on the lookout for as we press into the future as, as we're now several decades into impact investing and trying to go mainstream, what what we should be on the watch for. Uh, and so it was a joy to sit down with him and to learn about those things, uh, but also to learn a little bit about the man and the past that shaped his perspective on the world. For me, it's, you know, it's a family history uh, and it's, it's actually a little wild. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a, a uh, two uncles, Uncle Buck and Uncle Bill, that were started the Thunderbirds uh, wow. in the fifties. So, you know, yeah, uh, completely crazy. Um, my grandfather was a sharecropper, uh, just poor as a as a church mouse. Um, three acres of cotton, something like that. Uh, it was wild. I was sitting with some farmers in India, uh, about 12 years ago and just looking them in the eye and thinking this could absolutely be my, my grandfather. So, you know, it's amazing. Two generations, um, is, is nothing. And yet, uh, uh, he made choices to get my father an education and, uh, to get him on a path, um, Really, they were the first uh, uh, construction company to be integrated, to have blacks on the same crews as, as whites. They uh, they started in the real estate business because they had a bunch of leftover materials, and uh, they wanted to keep the crew together. So they started building build, building small buildings with the leftovers. Huh. And then when it came time uh, and they found somebody to take the building, they said, I don't want to buy it. I just want to rent it. So they backed into the wow. into the uh, into the real estate business to really do something good for their people. So you know, in retrospect, they didn't call it impact investing, but that's what it was. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you highlight kind of what we I think mutually believe is just that business has an impact, uh, and independent of like the label impact investing, all businesses positive, neutral, or negative, and so the the notion of triple bottom line or or how how you think about resource allocation or people that uh the, the notion of profit is more than just this financial uh bottom line but how you really think about community people um and when you think about people in the in the context of business you're gonna 
you're going to do things differently. You're going to keep them employed. You're going to think creatively to pay them a living wage and to give them opportunities that, that may not make the most financial sense uh, if you're looking at it just from uh, ones and zeros on a, on a balance sheet. So that's neat. Yeah, I think the secret can be, you know, local. Yeah. You know, do you live in the same community that you that your, your company exists, your employees, do they live in that community? Bhopal would have never happened that the CEO, you know, lived in that town. You know, it's just beyond imagination. Yeah. So, yeah, I believe you're right. And so, so you grew up, obviously, with your father, who was, who was a little more educated, uh, had built this company. What did, what did that look like for you uh, growing up and then, and then going off to a college? And inevitably, you came back. You came back to that business. Um, where does that kind of fit into the, to the sequence of your life? Well, uh, I hadn't really planned to, to, to talk about this, but I, I think it's relevant. Uh, both of us have Asperger's mm. and he never had it assessed and I didn't have it assessed until about four years ago, but it really made me understand, um, him in a, in a different way myself. So one of the things about Asperger's is we have a sort of an obsessive gene. And <laughs> what they used to say about my father is he didn't want all the, the land in the world. He just wanted what was next to him. <laughs> uh, and, and being of Scottish descent, you know, he saved every nickel. So growing up with him as a father, um, I will say professionally and aspirationally was terrific. Mm. Uh, we also have trouble with uh, social relationships, you know, mm. and so uh it wasn't a lot of warmth there yeah. and so um so i worked for him yes he he uh, went to dartmouth went to a public elementary and high school and then went to to dartmouth and it was i guess you could say an emergence for me uh I, you know with a family with wealth uh you always wonder if your success is, is tied to what you have rather than who you are. Mm. Um, you know, until I got to, to Dartmouth and then if it, if it wasn't up to me, you know, it would have been, I would have been sent home, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the fall quarter. And so yeah. that was a great thing for me to just say, okay, I've got some gifts, including the opportunity to, to be here and I better just knuckle, you know, knuckle up, hunker down and, and go for it. Yeah. It's so interesting. I came back. I actually got a job with Mo, in uh, Mobile, Alabama, with uh, International Paper Company, and my father was like, "Wait, <laughs> got to come back to the family business." Wow. And so he did. He did recruit me, or you know, uh, encourage me, and uh, hmm. I started in sales. And for me, you know, this is a theme actually. Uh, just the customer focus. You know, rather than construction and being really proud of your design, it ultimately matters, you know, how your customer experiences that design yeah. and the quality and the speed, uh, you know, and that really changed, you know, in the South, you know, while I was, I was it really, we were way behind when I started. So it wasn't really that hard to know um, how to pivot, you know, and this is, of course, a theme with uh, impact investing, not only in your investment strategy, but in your, the enterprises that we invest in. So it was a firsthand um, uh, crash course in 
and uh, you know, running a venture. Uh, I was made president at way too early an age, 27. Uh, again, I was, I was pretty good at strategy. I was terrible with people. You know, I, uh, I, I just didn't truly appreciate, uh, you know, how people think and, and how to create an environment where, um, people feel safe, yeah. you know, and secure and, are, you know, can share their dreams and, um, you know, give it their extra in tough times, you know, they, uh, so yeah. I, I ended up getting fired. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, I was 33. Wow. Um, by my sisters. So, uh, and what seemed like a tragedy ended up being a, a huge blessing in time. How did that make you feel? I'm mean, here, your sisters, you're, you're, you've been hired in by your dad. You're running this company. You're realizing pretty profoundly you, you, you don't, uh, maybe connect with people as you should in management, and then to ultimately um, be pushed out at 33. Um, how did that? How did that feel? Where did your life go from there uh, professionally? Which I think will get us into the next conversation around, uh, you know, what you've been known for for the last couple of decades. Okay, so I was responsible for the family business from age 27 to 33. So I had been observing though up until you know for the six years up to 27. So. I made some pretty radical changes and, um, you know, they may not seem like much, but they're, they're very customer focused, just building out of concrete, going up to 36 foot instead of 22 feet, you know, and that extra cube. Um, but it meant we had to lay off our masonry crew and mm-hmm. it was one guy that worked with us for 36 years. Right. My sister, older sister, you know, is an artist and, you know, for her, that was a bigger deal than, than making money. Right. And, uh, and it, it, it wasn't about making money for me, but it was about running a first class organization. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was innovative, but it was also painful to my dad and he took it personally. Uh, and when I said painful, my, so my oldest sister, she kind of led the charge. Um, she put, you know, his feelings ahead of uh, perhaps what was best for the enterprise, you know, um, because we were, we were, even though we were very successful uh, and I wasn't that diplomatic, I'll have to say, you know, <laughs> I was, you know, uh, I was cocky and, and, uh, you know, it was, it was like a G cool kind of thing, you know, like, yeah. wow, look at our sale. They're way up. And, yeah. you know, and I didn't think about how that might've felt, you know, to my dad mm. and yes, he was proud, but it was also like, you know, Oedipus, you know, yeah. uh, here I am in some ways making him look bad that he didn't make these changes when he was CEO and I had no clue. I did not see that coming. So the, I did not see the firing coming. Um, I at first was okay. I was like, I don't understand it. It's a mystery. But, you know, we ha- I have some real estate, you know, that was in my name. So I said, well, we'll just divide it up basically in thirds and, you know, I'll move on, you know, and uh, I know I did my best. 
yeah. for you. And, you know, was it what you wanted? I don't know, but uh, it was the best I could do. And, you know, divide the, the people up. I hired, had hired most of the people and they said, oh, you're not taking anybody with you. And I said, uh, <laughs> you know, these people are loyal to me, I, I thought. Um, so my first, when I, that, when that sentence, I became afraid, Wow. you know, uh, because, you know, your, your team that you work with every day, your colleagues, uh, you know, uh, were essential, I thought to my success. And so that was a scary moment. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't so much financially, but it was, um, I guess you'd say professionally, uh, my wife was in the hospital with a placenta previa, like on the edge of life or death, uh, right at that moment. So <laughs> the timing <laughs> for my sister, Goodness. I didn't have time to like mess around. You yeah. know, I, I would, I had a, a two-year-old and a three-year-old at home and then I'd go to the hospital and be with my wife and I'd go to, to work to, run through the transition, you know, and start my new venture. And it was just, you know, I didn't have time to be angry. Really. Right. I didn't have time to like, I was just had to, you know, dig in. Um, I could pursue deeply some of the strategies that uh, had been trying on the edge. And we just, we went after one product type. And I, th I think this, this is when I really became an entrepreneur. Okay, and so you talk about the connection between the real estate and the the uh, microfinance and impact investing. Um, <laughs> uh, it was called a STCDE, a single tenant cross stock expandable building, and it was really the logistics world that was changing. And so they were all the buildings were like Amazon mm -hmm. buildings, right? So instead of having thirty warehouses across the country. Uh, you have three, you know, California, Northeast, Southeast, maybe four or five. Um, and so I watched, again, customer focus. I watched where the customer couldn't find an existing building that they wanted to take. So they had to build one and go to a great delay and expense and do something that's not within their expertise just so they could be in the location and have the building designed that they wanted. So I basically follow them around, right? I just, <laughs> Louisville, Kentucky, next to UPS, I said, okay, I, uh, I'm just going to try a spec building. So we did built a 400,000 square foot spec building in Louisville, Kentucky. It was the biggest building, uh, spec building that was built by a factor of 10. So people thought I was crazy. Well, <laughs> bang, you know, uh, we had prospect after prospect after prospect. I mean, it was just as fast as, as we could go. Wow. So that was, that was fun. We became the eighth largest industrial developer in the United States. And, you know, I don't say that bragging, uh, you know, it, it was, a, again, it was a gee whiz thing for me. It was like, this is way bigger than I ever imagined. And it's way bigger in terms of, in fact, I, we made it to eighth was put in the paper. I didn't even know it. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you, you feel like you're part of something really big yeah. um, and you're helping to create it, but you know that there's this, however you want to say it, higher power, a spirit that's, 
you know, that's also present and also creating, you know, whether they're working through the customer to, to guide you or through your employees or through your mentors. Uh, I had a couple of lenders that were really great coaches. Um, and, you know, I think the sense of purpose, I, I really wasn't wild about putting money in my pocket. It was really, we were building a foundation at that yeah. time. It's um, interesting. Uh, and, well, it's, I was just going to say, it's interesting to kind of hear you talk through the, the, that change and, and being let go, being surprised by the family. Um, there's a couple of, couple of things because I'm hearing you say also like your sister, the vision of your sister and your, and your father was different. It wasn't necessarily bad. It was just different. Um, and so a passion for a business in this fashion versus a passion for creativity and innovation and, and pressing forward with a new business model. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but oftentimes, you know, two competing visions in one business make it, you know, are not tenable. And so what, what resulted was, was this, this separation, but it allowed you even in the midst of your grief and your anger to kind of press forward. I was on a panel this morning, even with uh, talking about just the COVID crisis and, and how can we, how can we use the crisis um, as a, as a catapult for innovation? And it sounds like in, in the business, you were able to kind of take what was a personal crisis and really try something that, that, uh, resulted in, in unbelievable growth for your, for your business. Um, so then you, I want to fast forward a little bit to, to, uh, how did you go from, you know, this family business, real estate, eighth largest industrial, what was the flipping point, the turning point rather for, for you to this, this idea of, of impact investing? I think it probably maybe a little, there was a, there was a time when one of the leaders in microfinance uh, was Steve Rockefeller. I haven't kept up with him for the last 20 years, but he invited me to a, to a conference. It was called wealth with responsibility. And uh, that ended up being Deutsche Bank. Uh, but, you know, Steve Rockefeller calls you, you just take the call, you know, yeah. it's like, okay. And uh, I remember we were shooting pool down in the basement and I had been asking everybody I, I, I knew or I encountered that I respected, you know, what are you doing with your life that brings you joy? You know, uh, it can be professional, but it can be outside professional. It can be just, uh, and he laid his cue down and started talking about microfinance and for 25 minutes. And, you know, I came out of real estate sales, so I didn't even know anything about finance, right? Uh, but when he stopped talking, I said, I, I don't know what you just told me, but I want some of what's on your face right now. Wow. And so it, it, it was clear that I, my life was not as fulfilling as I wanted it to be. Uh, the success, you know, in real estate was scratching that uh, professional itch, but it, 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 it was, um, there was more. Um, I had a life coach at the time and he was obsessed with uh, balance, right? You know, you got to spend time in your father bucket. You've got to spend time in your husband bucket, you know, uh, your faith bucket, your, you know, and, you know, make your lists and check them off and whatnot. And I followed this, you know, and it, it, it was definitely a, a, a kickstart. But then I thought, wait a minute. 
what if I impact, what if I invested in a way that was helpful, hmm. you know, to the communities, you know, I started thinking about, uh, putting uh, grass on the roofs of these buildings, right? And so the water would, and it's a little prettier, and then also the, the water would go uh, flower, uh, slower off the flow of the site. It's, um, and I thought, you know, just to be a good citizen, you know? And uh, so there's some convergence between, you know, the three things. There's some, you know, the spending, saving, giving, it's, you know, it's really that simple. Uh, between, you know, the saving or investing, and the giving back to you know the community and you know the spending you know for me was was about the experience of joy you know and you know that's important mm -hmm. uh well you know one of your questions is about purpose and another word for purpose is calling uh i think it was buchner that said uh, you know our calling is where the world's greatest needs intersect with your greatest joy and people think about a calling in terms of yeah i gotta you know i go gotta go and and serve and it's supposed to be hard and these things and it, and it is hard joy is it's not happiness it's it's about uh satisfaction and fulfillment and you know feeling part of something uh and so i wasn't feeling that in yeah. in the real estate and so uh i am sort of bold, you know, so I just, uh, he invited me to a, a fund uh, meeting, a little $3 million fund that Asad Mahmoud uh, was managing at the time. Um, and Asad really became uh, my, my guide, my, my Sacagawea, you know, to Lewis and Clark. And uh, I just soaked it up. Hmm. I quickly realized that uh, I really wasn't going to understand microfinance, you know, from reading a balance sheet or cash flow or assets under management or par or these things, uh, I had to go see it. Yeah. And so I took a around the world trip, you know, visiting microfinance banks all over the world. And, uh, it was really, I mean, I'm, I got to meet Dr. Yunus. I got to meet some very inspiring, uh, leaders. But it was a woman, it was a borrower in Bangladesh who I had met during a group meeting and she invited me back to her hut, you know, with a translator and this kind of thing. And it was, it was mind blowing, you know, to see again, her hospitality. And for some reason we started talking about, uh, I asked her, you know, what are your dreams? Hmm. And, you know, her head's down like this and, and she starts to talk about, her dreams for her children, you know, uh, for especially her girl child, who she hoped to be able to stay in school as long as, as the boy, you know. And she had dreams for her relationship with her husband, that she would be in on the some of the family decisions that were important. She had dreams for her business. It was really interesting how she felt uh respected and rewarded and successful in her dreams yeah. it was the supplier that that she wanted to be able to negotiate with that supplier in with strength and she, if she had that loan and that capital in hand the cash in hand she could do it she could get yeah. much much better terms you know then she starts talking about um walking down the path in her village and just having the elders 
nod to her, mm. you know, and feeling part of a community, you know, helping make it a better place. She wanted to serve on the village council. She wanted to stop uh, uh, honor killing, you know, in her village. You know, she had dreams for the Bangladeshi people. You know, this woman's 27 years old or maybe 28. And she says, you know, more Bangladeshi serve in the UN peacekeeping forces than any other country. Yeah. Not, in, not in percentage terms, in absolute terms. Just very proud of that. And then she looked at me and she goes, well, what are your dreams? Wow. And I came to understand that when that was like a flash in microfinances, she can now consider me a peer. Wow. And yes, she's a borrower and I'm a lender, but she looks me dead in the eye and she knows that she's critical, you know, to the success of that microfinance bank. Right. Yeah. And the mutual benefit. Uh, yeah. And she, so as I was thinking about her question, I said, my dreams sound a lot like your dreams, yeah. right? I would love to be prouder of my country. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. At this moment, we are not so well led. I won't even say who was president at the time, but, um, you know, and what I'm looking, what am I looking for? I'm yeah. looking for a future for my kids and I'm looking for, you know, a relationship, a respectful relationship with my, with my wife, uh, to be, you know, uh, cared for in my community. So this became a, it was just like a, a lightning strike, you know, in yeah. terms of my, my whole, I mean, this became my, my purpose, you know, it wasn't about, uh, it wasn't about pity. Uh, it was, it was about power. It really was. And I, I saw that woman, even as I was speaking to her, gain confidence and feel uh, you know, her eyes going up and her and her uh, shoulders, you know, becoming more uh, up front and feeling more powerful. That's great. And so it is that mutual benefit, or I call it co-creation. Co-creation, good word. That she knows what's best for her village way better than even a side of my mood, okay? Yeah. You know, uh, and so I think the best impact enterprises follow the lead, you know, of, uh, of their customers. What's the other products and services that they need? You know, why is it important for it to be efficient? You know, why customer retention is, is important, you know, treat me well, even though I'm already, you know, it's not just marketing to get new customers, marketing, uh, to retain them yeah. is even more important. So yeah. I learned a lot. That's great. Well, it's not, I mean, you have these moments and, in, in, you and I have talked before about just the power of story. And, and so, it's great to hear you capture these stories that have been just so profound. One, the the, the time with your daughter in, in Morocco, and then and then this one, and then uh, and probably several others. But you've you've now gone on over the last couple of decades, even before impact investing was even coined, and just been a pioneer uh, and putting everything on the line and saying, I want to I want to chase this. This becomes my dream. How can I use the power I've been given to empower others and to to elevate their their dreams and wishes for their community and for their families. I'd love to, I'd love to get your perspective. Okay. So this was late nineties. I think when you got into the microfinance, we're 2020, um, looking back and, and looking forward, um, what are, what are some, what are some concerns or what are some things that you think, um, we should be watching 
as we look to the future of, of impact investing. There's a lot going on in our world from COVID-19 to uh, the economic injustice and the social injustice in, in America right now. What, what should we be paying attention to um, as we look to kind of continue to press into this, this, um, this mission? Well, a simple one, I think, for investors, but so rarely done is really showing up and being present. And I'm not talking about with the bank president or the loan officer. It's back to getting in the field, okay, and observing, having these conversations. Uh, you know, it takes it takes looking at yourself a different way. I mean, I have tremendous respect for, um, you know, for say Gates or um, Zuckerberg, Chan to go into Nigeria, you know, and, and talk to folks. But if you fly in on a private jet, you know, and your experience is going to be, people are going to treat you differently. Right. Um, I had a guy, um, with a microfinance bank uh, in India that just taught this so profoundly. I mean, we, we drove, you know, out 40 miles from, from Bangalore and we stayed in a hotel. It was $4 a night. Okay. And he would take students and professors and investors and we were all piled in the same band, right? Young and old, little jeans, you know, dirty sneakers. And so the people we were talking to didn't know me, you know, they didn't hold me in any special status. And so you get, you get the truth. You get, you get, uh, you get some criticism, you know, you, you know, you get to know, like, uh, you know, people aren't sucking up to you. They're, you know, like, why are you here? Mm. You know, what's, what's your purpose, you know? Yeah. And, you know, to answer those questions, uh, they stick. And so when you go back home, and you're trying to decide what to invest in, uh, uh, it matters. You know, what I, what another life coach taught me, he said, really, to try to define my life purpose. And he said it simply. He says, what, what I see you doing is having courage and encouraging. Having and courage I, and encouraging. I, I like both. that. Yeah. And I know you saw it with Village Capital. You know, uh, Village Capital started this, it's a crazy thing, pure selected, you know, investment. I mean, it really was. We yeah. were called, uh, what did Kevin call it? Uh, bonkers. He said I was bonkers. <laughs> and, uh, uh, um, but I enjoyed talking to the entrepreneurs and I was inspired by them. Yeah. And I did try to encourage them. And oftentimes that encouragement was a bigger deal than the $50,000 check. You know, that's important too. But I think you're, you're hitting on something that's really interesting. This, this idea of presence and I think what I'm also hearing you have say is like this notion of humility, presence and humility, um, uh, which I think is a helpful thing to kind of come in, not, not projecting that, you know, everything, um, and listening and, and being willing to kind of, uh, how do you, how do you use your courage? How do you have courage and how do you encourage, um, and I think it's interesting because like, we're kind of at this point, uh, you know, previous conferences, uh, even this year, talking about going mainstream and just the exciting opportunity where there seems to be some outcomes around impact investing or value aligned investing. They're showing it's, uh, it's financially 
uh, a sure thing or a good thing to, to do, and it beats benchmarks. But I think what I'm hearing you say is there's a, there is a concern as things go mainstream, if you will, they get more broad adoption. We, we, we corporatize them. We, don't, we lose touch with, with the stories and the people and, and don't take the time to, to travel to, to meet with the entrepreneurs and hear their stories and their dreams and to share our stories and our dreams uh, where there's going to be real connection and maybe something completely different than what you thought you were going there to invest in emerges. I guess I haven't put so much focus on relationships. This is very personal, but because I've been, you know, let down. I've been, uh, I've had my heart broken in, in so many ways. Um, and so to the extent that I can be inspired, um, you know, uh, by a moment, by being present, fully present and, you know, having that memory, your memories, you know, are with you always. And you, know, you file something to the alpha state, the, the, the brainwave there. And, you know, that memory can guide you. The, the, the picture of, uh, I was with uh, Teju of Unreasonable Institute uh, by phone, by Zoom. And just a couple of weeks ago, and I, he asked me to, to talk about, you know, what was going on in my life. It was really partly the purpose of pain. That's what he, he wanted to know. And uh, to see his face after the conversation just really radiate, mm. really, uh, that that's what brings me joy. And I can go, I haven't spoken to him in eight years. You know, so do you call that a relationship? I mean, it's not your definition, but many of those experiences do guide me as if it were a, a, an ongoing relationship. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah. again, that's my, I'm not, preaching this believe me i'm not even suggesting or inviting people to consider it this way this is just my way yeah well i think uh again we were talking about friendship we're talking about moments uh and the impact of those moments um i I don't think that's uh that's atypical i mean i think uh everyone has experienced pain and so you and i were kind of joking before we kind of went live on this but just around the purpose of pain and, and I actually think there's something profound there. So you, you, I loved what you were talking about with joy versus happiness, but this, this notion of pain. Um, and so I don't, I don't know if you have any, any kind of parting thoughts as it relates to just how you've experienced pain. I know you, you're just coming back from a sabbatical, but just some lessons just that pain has taught you as you've kind of gone through life that might be helpful for people um, because that's something that we all experience. Uh, it, it's part of the human condition. And so how, how can we help one another navigate and, uh, and, and find joy in the midst of pain? Uh, is there anything that you've learned that would be helpful for, for people listening? Yeah, there's been some suffering times, and I don't mean just weeks and months, but I mean for years. And, you know, you can call it depression, or, uh, but there was definitely times when it was hard to get out of bed, you, you know, feeling like a failure, not feeling powerful. Yeah. not feeling like that woman, you know, who, who could get up in some ways being, being inspired by her, having that memory and bringing it back. Um, but I think again, defining success, you know, what is our purpose? And if I am there to encourage, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm, 
um, doing this work to be financially successful. I mean, I've had some, I mean, this, we have a, a, a lender in, in India called Indian School Finance Company, and we've had six rounds of, of uh, negotiations over two and a half years to put new capital in. We have 400 employees. So I think about it, if we're not successful with this, they're going to be out of work. Yeah. And, you know, that's almost more than a, than, than I can bear really. Uh, if, if I fail in that. And I think just in some ways letting go and just taking those deep breaths and realizing, uh, it's not up to me. <laughs> you know, I, I need to do my part. Um, I have a daughter that's in, uh, in recovery and she's been clean for three and a half years. Um, and it was, it was no small, she was, it was heroin. And she talks again publicly about this, but for her to, uh, to beat that it's every day, every day. And she wakes up grateful for life every day. And now she's in a wonderful partnership. She's going to be married August 8th. She just finished law school, fifth in her class. She has a job. She got the offer letter from King and Spalding. She says, there's, she called him up. There's a typo. Yeah. There's an extra digit in this offer. <laughs> Three, like, you know, well, it's going to be six digits instead of five. She yeah. said, no, no, that's right. You know, and so it's just like she laughs, you know, and nothing knocks it down. I want to thank Bob for coming on the podcast today and his, and his radical transparency and opening up uh, on the values of presence, the purpose of pain, and lessons that he's learned in life and business. I want to let our listeners know also about an exciting opportunity, a virtual pitch event where 16 companies will pitch to receive one of eight $100,000 investments. To learn more, check out render.capital slash competition. You won't want to miss this exciting event. Again, if you've liked what you've heard, drop us a review, subscribe, and stay tuned for next week's episode. Check out our work at accessventures.org. I'm Bryce Butler. Thanks for listening.